My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Last week, brothers and sisters began a short sermon series on the Lenten prayer of St. Ephraim. We learned a little bit about who he is, what he did, about his hymns, his poems, and their uses in dealing with various heresies and other religions in his area. Um, We talked about the Lenten prayer that we just prayed a few moments ago. And in his prayer, he asks God to take from him four things which were encapsulated, I think, perfectly in today's reading from Colossians 3. But these four things are sloth, despair, or despondency, lust of power, and idle talk. We talked about how sloth and despair or despondency, uh, about how they feed into one another and how they are, quote, rejection of the present moment is God's good gift. This leads us then to apathy. We talked about lust for power and lust in general and how if we aren't oriented towards God, we become self-centered. And lastly, we dealt with idle talk and how all these four work together to lead us into spiritual apathy. Today, we turn away from the negative and look towards the positive. It is not enough to be divested of something bad. What's been taken away has to be replaced with something else or else one will slide back into what we were trying to escape from in the first place. And today, we're going to deal with the second part of this prayer, and the positive things that St. Ephraim is leading us to ask God to graciously give us. And these things are given to us by God as a gift from his divine grace. He says, and the title of today's sermon is Give Me. Last week's was Please Take From Me. He says this, but rather give the spirit of chastity, meekness of mind, patience, and love to your servants. Let's begin with chastity. Psalm 24, 3-4a says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And our Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If there's anything today that our culture undervalues, it is the concept of chastity. Everything put out in various media for us to consume is anti-chaste because to be chaste voluntarily is seen in the same light as a person who refuses to use a computer, a Luddite out of step with the times. It's a completely preposterous idea, voluntary chastity. But this idea presumes that there are times that one can be out of step with in the first place, as if time is an impersonal force. Or sorry, as if time is a personal force. But time doesn't carry with it shifting senses of rightness or wrongness or morality, and and neither does history. Our attitudes, our values, our mores, they shift. But what's not associated, but that's not associated with time or with history. If our values and mores shift, then that means these shifts can be good or bad or shades in between. And that means those shifts can occur from good to bad, which I think is the predominant paradigm. But I do think there are times when values shift from bad to good. Take example, the civil rights movement and how that responded to the the problem of racism. 
But chastity itself is seen as a relic of a bygone Victorian era, something that no reasonable person should even consider. And one thing also we should note is that when we hear the word chastity, many parse it in regards to just being about sexual desire. That is, it's almost always considered in the sense of being in control of those desires. And in a sense, that's true. And if anything, our modern culture has shifted from reasonable controls to overindulgence. And to that, chastity is a massive help. But chastity is not just limited to this one area. Father Alexander Schmemann noted this, it is ch- its chastity is understood as the positive counterpart of sloth. Its opposite, then, is precisely wholeness. Christ restores wholeness in us, and he does so by restoring in us the true scale of values by leading us back to God. In other words, to quote God's word to Cain in Genesis, sin is crouching at the door, waiting to try and master us. Or as St. Peter noted, the devil is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But chastity is the weapon by which we fight, and chastity is exercised in some way through asceticism, through fasting, through prayer, through the means of grace God has given us in the sacraments. And in regards to fasting, St. John Chrysostom said this, Do not let only your mouth fast, but also the eye, and the ear, and the feet, and the hands, and all the members of our bodies. Let the hands fast by being free of avarice. Let the feet fast by ceasing to run after sin. Let the eyes fast by disciplining them not to glare at that which is sinful. Let the ear fast by not listening to evil talk and gossip. Let the mouth fast from foul words and unjust criticism. For what good is it if we abstain from birds and fishes, but bite and devour our brothers and sisters? I think that's so powerful because chastity isn't just in being in control of our, of our desires as we express them as sexual beings, but chastity is the entire person. I love how he talks about your hands fasting by being free of greed. Let your feet fast by don't run after sin. Let your eyes fast by not looking at things that you know you shouldn't be looking at. Don't listen to gossip. Your ears should be fasting too. I think this is a perfect description of the wholeness of the chaste life. And as we are empowered by God's grace, we turn ourselves towards him. We will take on the values of the kingdom of God. And we will learn how chastity shapes us towards the vision of God. And seeing God through purity of heart, like Jesus said, right? This is also applicable to our ability to read and understand scripture. We will miss what scripture is doing when our minds and hearts are clouded by sin, and by being unchaste. I was reminded of this very important point, which the church father, St. Athanasius, makes about, about purity of life. It has a direct connection with our ability to read and understand Holy Scripture. When I saw something this week where a, 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 a minister talked about Jesus' racism and how he was confronted by a woman who confronted him with his racism And how Jesus repented of his racism as this one woman stood against him speaking truth to power. Brothers and sisters, this is absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. 
And theology like that comes from a clouded mind and a clouded heart that is impure. Let's talk a little bit about meekness of mind. Luke 18, 10 to 14, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, will not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And meekness of mind is another way of saying humility. And humility is one of those interesting virtues, because if one claims to be humble, then one is actually showing the exact opposite. But I do think humility is observable, but not in ourselves. It is only observable in others. And I'm sure you've met the kind of person who thinks that everyone else exists to serve them, that the world revolves around them. I've met many people like that. People who, who build churches and movements around themselves. And what pride does is cause us to lack the ability to see the state of our own soul. Like this man in the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, like this Pharisee. Humility enables us to see ourselves as we really are. The Pharisee in the story approaches God in prayer in complete confidence of his own goodness, listing the sins committed by those he is not like. He doesn't participate in the wickedness of others, and what he listed is actually bad. It's actually wicked and sinful. But what makes him just as sinful as those other people who he claims to not be like is his confidence that what he does and his self-assured sense of his own rightness is enough. He's not even praying. right? He's not even praying. He's just listing off his qualities to God. That would be like if I stood there and I said, Oh, Lord, I thank you that I don't preach an hour and a half like other people I know. I thank you, Lord, that I don't make serious mistakes when I read and interpret and preach Scripture like that guy who said that Jesus was a racist. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. I thank you, Lord, that, that I don't try to build anything around, that, that, that I, I'm, all, I'm just about you, God. And maybe I pray one day, Lord, that everybody else can see that, how great I am and awesome I am. Thank you, for, thank you for me. Thank you for making me. And thank you for putting me here. What's the point of even praying? In prayers like that, there are no, <laughs> there's no self-awareness of any kind. Right? It's like when Andy keeps butting heads with Michael in the office. And Michael, the person in the office who has the least self-awareness, comments on how Andy's self-awareness is, is horrible. The Pharisee can't see himself for the sinner he truly is. The outside of his cup looks clean, but inside the cup is moldy 
and dirty. The tax collector, on the other hand, displays the marked sense of his own unworthiness to even stand before God. He doesn't even raise his head up. He keeps it down, his eyes lowered, because he's able to see who he is. He knows what he is, and he sees his need. And in humility, the acknowledgement of all of that, he leaves justified because he sees the need to ask God for mercy and for forgiveness while the Pharisee does not. And he leaves justified. The theologian Olivier Clément wrote this, For a perfect, self-assured man who is proud of his uprightness, there is no room for God in the world. He himself fills all things. A humble man, however, makes room. He opens himself up to the benevolent gift of salvation. He welcomes it gratefully and wraps his heart in a festive garment. I love that. For a perfect, self-assured man who is proud of his uprightness, there is no room for God in the world. He himself fills all things. Which is in direct contrast right, to one of the prayers of the church, the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who fills all things. When you do not have humility, you're unable to see that you cannot fill yourself up in all things. Let's talk about patience. Psalm 37, 5 to 9. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it leads only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The other day, uh, my son Isaac said to me, Dad, I want a brown cookie. That's his way of asking for an Oreo thin. And I said, no, not right now, maybe later. He let out a shriek and didn't understand why he couldn't have it when he wanted Never mind the fact that he had just had goldfish about an hour before. Now, that's just a silly example, right? This is just a silly example, but it kind of illustrates something important. So remember what I said last week about lust of power and idleness and the lure towards sin? Good. I'm glad you did. It's almost as if desire and apathy makes makes us want what we want right now. It turns us into small, spoiled children who don't know any better and would do whatever they wanted whenever they wanted if it weren't for the guiding hand of parents. And patience is, in some sense, the reorientation of our souls to time. But not time as we understand it as something tied in with physical space, which will eventually come to an end, but time as in tied in with eternity. Patience looks at things from God's perspective, not from our own limited perspective. Again, Clément writes this, the patience puts its trust in time, not merely ordinary time where death has the last word and where time erodes, separates and destroys everything, but time mingled with eternity as it is offered to us by the resurrection. So in a way, God is playing the long game, in air quotes, right? But we can't see beyond ourselves to what God is asking of us or what we're waiting for. 
And this is difficult because other people, the evil even around us, don't wait for the Lord. They don't refrain from anger. They let loose wrath. They, they show forth their evil. But even when it doesn't look like God is present, be assured he is. And the cross is the perfect demonstration of that ideal. Let's talk about love, lastly. Colossians 3.14. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And as St. Paul also says in, in Corinthians, these three things abide, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I, heard one, I once heard someone say that whatever the fruit of the Spirit is listed, all of them flow from the first one, that is love. So in other words, they should be love, hyphen, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Father Alexander Schmemann said, Love is the crown and fruit of all virtues, of all growth and effort, the gift given by God alone as the goal of all spiritual preparation and practice. Love is what we're aiming towards. Love is the greatest of these virtues because love never fails. This is not human love, but this is divine love. It's not the deep affection we might feel for our spouses, even though divine love is demonstrated through the love of husband and wife, as St. Paul makes clear in Ephesians. He, and he takes this example of the love between husband and wife as a picture, as an image of the love that Christ has for the church. But that love is not sappy, sentimental feelings. Love is the selfless self-giving of oneself for the other. And this is in stark contrast to basically every romantic comedy ever made, brothers and sisters. Because in many of these, these romantic comedies, many of these movies, one of the characters is always in a relationship with someone else until they meet their, the one that they really love. And they can't help but go to this person. But what about the love you had for this person? That's not love. It's not the swirl of emotion felt in dating and engagement. Love is waking up in the middle of the night to calm a wailing child even when one has to get up for work the next day. Love is not the ardor of youth. Rather, love is, is loving and being loved by those even our spouse, even when our, our skin begins to sag or we put on a few extra pounds or wrinkles. Love is clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and helping the poor. Love is, as Clement puts it, the synthesis of every virtue whose essence is Christ. Love, as seen in the face and actions of Jesus Christ, is the very dish definition of love. And this love, brothers and sisters, is extended to us as a gift. And this love as a gift is what grants us the things we ask for. Patience, meekness of mind, and chastity. All of these spring as God's good gift from our regenerate hearts. As St. John Chrysostom reminds us, he did not say that love is the summit. He doesn't say love is the summit. But what is greater, he says love is the bond. This more necessary than the other. For summit is indeed an intensity of perfectness. But the bond of love is the holding fast together of those things which produces the perfectness. Love is, as it were, 
the root. The root. And so, brothers and sisters, may we, along with our Father in the faith, St. Ephraim, pray to the Lord that this Lent and every day that he would give us the spirit, the gift of chastity, meekness of mind, patience, and love. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and as all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If you have a few minutes, I'd like to ask you to go to gofundme.com slash zionstonechurchrepairfund. Our bell tower is in need of some major renovation and repairs, and we can use whatever help you're able to give to us. If you'd like to find out more about us, check us out on our Facebook page, Zion Stone UCC, or on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks again for listening. I pray that these sermons will continue to strengthen you in your walk with Jesus Christ. And may the blessings of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you. Thank you.